The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. afternoon everybody or whatever time of day it might be where you are i'm victoria moran and i am your host here on main street vegan and today i am a very happy host because i'm not all alone in the world i have a co-host the lovely danielle leg say hey danielle good afternoon (laughs) it's really wonderful to be here with uh, danielle i met her at the niagara veg fest this past spring and People volunteer at these veg fests. If you're part of, of this movement, this world, you know that everybody helps everybody. And, and Danielle's volunteer job was to make sure everything went well for me. And she did it so extraordinarily magnificently and with such creativity that we're actually doing some virtual work together. Now, Danielle also works with our henhouse.org. We've had Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan on the show before. And also with the wonderful new film, The Ghosts in Our Machine. Tell us what's happening with the ghosts. Well, I am actually in town because this weekend we have The Ghosts in Our Machine is premiering in New York City. And uh, it's starting on Friday. There are several shows throughout the day, but the premiere is actually at 7.40 p.m. on Friday. We're going to have special guests there. And uh, it's pretty exciting. I got to attend the premiere in Canada, which was amazing just to sort of find this project when it was really just beginning and, and following their um, following the development of the film and, and supporting it through uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and to see it coming to the States and knowing like what a huge difference it's already started to make in Canada and what a difference it's going to make here. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. I have watched it online and I know that's not the same as in the big theater, which I will also be able to to see this weekend. But the story is of this wonderful photographer, mm-hmm. Joanne MacArthur. She considers herself a war photographer, and her battlefield are these places where animals are used and abused. So for those of you listening, not live, we're talking about uh, the New York premiere, November 8th, 9th, and 10th. It'll actually play in New York at the Village East Cinema through next Friday. Um, There'll be the filmmakers there through the weekend. I'm actually introducing the film on Sunday, November 10th, because I'll be at the Atlanta Veg Fest on November 9th. So anybody there, please uh, stop in. I'm speaking bright and early on Saturday morning there in Atlanta. I just hope this film gets nominated for an Oscar. I am so hopeful that that happens. I think that, you know, when people watch the Oscars and these are films that maybe they didn't see, it makes them think, like, these films were nominated. Why should I see them? And I think if, for If a Tree Falls, I hadn't actually heard of the film. So seeing it on the Oscars made me watch it, and it really opened my eyes. And the ghosts, um, Liz Marshall did an amazing job of creating a film that can really be viewed by a broad audience. It doesn't have to be animal rights activists. It doesn't have to be even animal advocates, anyone can watch this film and be touched and want to do something to change it. So to have it on the Oscar platform to just be considered for that and to see 
more people seeing it and, and saying like, my choices have an impact, not just on myself or my health, but on others. Yes. Yes. It's, it's and it's a beautiful concept. Even the title, the ghosts in our mm-hmm. machine, the ghosts are these animals in the machinery that runs human civilization. It, it, it's quite a film. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan and, and so, so happy that they're getting their uh, U.S. premiere that they worked on so hard. So that. as we're talking to you today, uh, November 6th, I just finished up a Main Street Vegan Academy. Well, not just me. It was 14 amazing students, a whole wonderful, fabulous faculty, and all of New York City, the vegan playground. So we had people here from, oh my gosh, everywhere, Monterey, Mexico, Boise, Idaho, the Yukon Territories, (laughs) and a couple of other Canadian provinces. We had people from Atlanta. We had people from Pittsburgh. I mean, we really get the world from Main Street Vegan Academy. Yesterday was our field trip day, and we shopped till we dropped. This was a shopping group. Like every other class we've ever had, we had one man. We've always had he one man. Until he dropped. But yeah, he <laughs> shopped till he dropped. We went to Vogue Couture, where the lovely Leanne Maylee Hilgart talked to us in one of her busiest weeks of the year, I didn't realize this, this is her Pre-orders, shipping week. Yeah. When all the coats go out, she was so tired, bless her heart, but so gracious. I got a coat, and you know what's going to happen now? I have two Vote Couture coats now that I have my second one. So I have the super heavy one that will go into its third winter, and then I have the new one that's sort of quasi-heavy. And that means that those last two ancient wool coats We'll get to go to the coat drive in December, and I will have a completely vegan closet. I love it. I'm really excited. I get to pick up my Belden actually this week. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm very excited to visit. Yeah, she gives all her coats names. Mm-hmm. So it's really wonderful. Check out VoteCouture.com. We had a great time at High Vibe, which is a, a raw food market, and people were just tasting all sorts of amazing things. They have crackers that taste like cheese which is amazing because they're vegan, but even more amazing that they're raw and they taste like crackers. Life is good. So we have sent 14 new vegan lifestyle coaches and educators out into the world. And if you have any interest in becoming one of those yourself, just check out MainStreetVegan.net. Click on Academy. We're all full for February, but we've got openings in March and August and November and would love to have you part of the wondrous week here in New York City. So, Danielle, tell us about your companion animals. Uh, I have a dog and a cat. I call them my grays because they're both gray. Um, Not my hair, which is also gray. Well, now it's blonde. Um, My dog's name is Arcot. I got him from a rescue, and he is just my sole companion. Like, he's just the sweetest boy. Um, And I have a cat. Her name is Pico. I actually got her when I went to school um, to get my vet tech license. And she was, each year they bring in barn cats, basically, for the students to learn on. And her mother was pregnant, so she gave birth. She had five kittens, and my cat was actually two of the kittens that survived the litter. And she is the sweetest slash most evil cat you will ever meet. Um, I absolutely adore her, but she loves me. She doesn't love everyone else. So I always have to warn people when they come into the house, touch the dog, just look at the cat, no touching. (laughs) Well, I think sometimes with rescues, we just have to understand. It's a little bit like when people adopt children from difficult Mm -hmm. circumstances, from orphanages overseas. We have to understand sometimes they've got stuff going on. But they are just exactly the way they're supposed to be. And I, I mean, she's my cuddle bug. She really is. But she doesn't. She doesn't want to be touched by other people. And she it, she'll pretend that she wants to be touched. Yes. And she'll make this little bow, which says like, "Touch me, I'm precious." Yeah. And then immediately when they like motion to touch her, she hisses and then backs up. And uh-huh. like, Sorry. well, that sounds she doesn't like know what she's saying. That's very much like my husband. Everybody <laughs> thinks he's so friendly, but. It's really hard for him to do the whole social thing. He's a nice, nice guy. It's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, don't touch me. And he's never had a massage and doesn't want one. So I say, good, good. There's just more funds in the massage account (laughs) for me. We will be back after these upcoming messages with two wonderful guests. 
Daniel Redwoods and David Simon, author of Meetonomics. Mm, what a word is that? Stay with us. You are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. What if you could experience vibrant health? help heal the planet and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges. Listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says we must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels, live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. It's my pleasure to introduce our first guest today, David Robinson Simon. He's the author of Meatonomics, How the Rigged Economics of Meat and Dairy Make You Consume Too Much, and How to Eat Better, Live Longer, and Spend Smarter. David Simon is a lawyer and advocate for sustainable consumption. He works as general counsel for a healthcare company and serves on the board of the APRL Fund, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting animals. He's a graduate of UC Berkeley. He went to law school at the University of Southern California. He's also the author of New Millennium Law Dictionary, a full-length legal dictionary. We didn't tell you he was also smart. He lives in Southern California with his partner, the artist Tanya Marie, their rabbit Joy, their tortoise Gaia, and their two cats, Sweet Pea and Boojum. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. It is wonderful to have you. I am making my way through this very meaty, if I may use that word, book. It's really full of information. And after 30 years as a vegan, I thought I knew it all. I don't know one-tenth of what you've got in this book, and I love to read things that actually teach me something new and important. So tell us, what is Metanomics about? 
Well, I think most importantly, it's about the ways that the meat and dairy industries in the United States have managed to aggressively control consumer decision-making in a way that has uh, largely diminished the ability of consumers to make informed and independent decisions about what to eat and how much of it to eat. So, for example, the, these industries uh, target us with, with very aggressive messaging that's often misleading. And, and if, you're, if you're not getting the right information, it's, it's hard to say that, that you're really making an informed decision. And, and there are lots of other ways that, that these industries uh, control us in, in ways that we simply hadn't really thought about before. Well, we're thinking about it now, and if anybody would like to join the conversation and ask David a question, the toll-free number is 888-558-6489. David, a lot of people, when they're thinking about going vegan, or at least when I bring it up to certain people, they say it's, it's so expensive to be vegan. Why is it that eating animal products is so cheap, or it's perceived as so much cheaper or less cost? Yeah, you know, the key word there is perceived. There's really a there's a perception that animal foods are inexpensive, but in fact what's happening is animal food producers are offloading the vast majority of their production costs onto society. And I show in the book that for example, each time McDonald's sells a Big Mac for $5, there is an additional $8 in costs that is literally dumped onto the shoulders of consumers and taxpayers in this country. And whether you eat meat or not, whether you eat Big Macs or not, you're paying your share of that $8. So a Big Mac really costs $13. And, and to, to price it at $5 is simply uh, misleading and it's artificially low. Mm-hmm. Well, 5 and 13, that's one thing. How about $414 billion? Yeah, so that, that number, $414 billion, that's the total annual value of the, the costs that the meat and dairy industries externalize or impose on American consumers and taxpayers. And to put that number in perspective, it's, it's more than half of what we spend in this country on Social Security each year. It's a, it's a, it's a big number. It's about 1.7 times the annual retail sales that the industry generates. So how does it work exactly? Well, that's a great question. If here's here's how an externalized cost works. If I if I take my garbage to the front of my driveway uh, once a week and put it there for the garbage service to collect, and I pay them to pick it up, I have internalized my garbage collection costs. On the other hand, if I put my garbage in the trunk of my car and drive over to the local park and dump it there under cover of darkness at midnight, then I have externalized my my garbage collection costs because I've imposed those costs on society. Somebody has to now come and pick that garbage up. Meat and dairy producers, metaphorically speaking, are dumping their garbage in our parks at midnight because they're offloading a variety of costs onto our shoulders. And those are things like costs of environmental damage related to meat and dairy production, subsidies, healthcare costs, uh, damage that fishing causes to oceans, and in fact, even the cost of cruelty. Economists recognize a concept called willingness to pay and when we evaluate how much consumers in this country are willing to pay to end some of the cruel practices that we find in factory farming, that number is about $20 billion each year. Wow. Do other industries also externalize? And is it any different from what the animal products are doing? So meat and dairy, is everybody else kind of doing the same thing? They they do. It's 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 not uncommon for for American industries to externalize some portion of their costs, and and we see this significantly in the industries like um, coal production, electricity generation, uh, oil production, etc. And yet, the the animal food industry, based on the published peer-reviewed research that shows the externalized costs from these other industries, the animal food industry is actually far and away the leading externalizer of costs in this country. You know, the electricity uh, generation industry externalizes something like one-third the cost that, that the animal food industry does. It's, this, this particular industry is just overwhelming us with costs. 
That's so fascinating at a time when we've been hearing so much about health care and, and what kind we're supposed to have. And, and, oh, people are just so overwhelmed. They don't understand what's going on. And then to hear that there is this other thing going on that actually relates to those health care costs, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. We're, we're driving this, – this country is driving something like $314 billion in, in health care costs related to consumption of meat and dairy. These are the costs associated with, with diseases that are very closely linked to consuming animal foods like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. Now, animal food consumption is not the only cause of those diseases, but in about a third of the cases, more or less, according to the clinical literature – those diseases can be attributed to to diet and to consumption of of animal foods, particularly because of their high saturated fat and high cholesterol content. It's really fascinating and yeah. scary. Yes. How, how did you figure all this out? Why don't people know this? Why isn't it being taught in economics classes in colleges? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. For I think um, first of all, it took a lot of digging. The, <laughs> Uh, I spent I spent almost four years writing this book, and and uh, there are seven hundred more than seven hundred endnotes that that refer to published studies, and and it's just possible that nobody has spent the time to dig around and add up all these numbers before. But I think also to some extent, the the meat and dairy industries engage in a very uh, aggressive messaging campaign that that is designed to sort of overwhelm us and convince us that it's in that it's. Uh, it's a good idea to eat their products and that to the extent that, that they, these industries do externalize costs, hey, uh, don't worry about it. That's just part of the cost of doing business, but look at all these great jobs they're creating on, on the flip side. And people buy animal foods, obviously, for lots of different reasons. Would you say that price, maybe the price isn't actually what's driving it? It's that they just like the way it tastes. We've heard it a million times or just because it's a habit. So like Thanksgiving, for example, like it's just, that's what's easy. Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting point. Uh, economists often will look at a particular market and ask the question, who is driving this market? Is this, is this more a consumer driven market in that it's driven heavily by consumer preferences and by uh, disposable income? Or is this more a producer driven de- market in that it's driven by things like producer behavior and by pricing. And in, in the case of animal foods, we've doubled our consumption of animal foods in this country over the last 75 years. We've gone from about 100 pounds of meat per person to about 200 pounds of meat per person. And the animal food industry um, likes, to, likes to say, don't blame us. We're simply responding to consumer demand by, by providing the, the, the level of, uh, of this good that consumers want. However, in this book, I show that something much different is happening, and that is that producers are actually driving this very heavy level of consumption, mainly by keeping prices artificially low, but, but also by some of the messaging and, and other things I talked about at the beginning, including a very aggressive legislative campaign. Right. And you had touched base um, before on the environmental damage that's caused by the meat and the dairy industry. Can you just elaborate more on those and the cost that's involved in the, what they're doing? Yeah, there are, there are lots of published studies out there, um, typically peer-reviewed, that, that talk about the uh, economic costs associated with farming animals. And those include costs like um, mitigating climate change, uh, uh, animal agriculture is a big uh, uh, contributor to uh, carbon equivalent emissions, generating something like, depending on which study you believe, between 20 and 50 percent of, of the global carbon emissions on, on the planet. Um, cost, of, cost related to um, soil degradation and erosion. Uh, when, when animals graze on land, they, they compact it and they damage it in other ways that make it difficult to, to farm that land. Uh, that makes the land less productive. Costs associated with the diminished value of real estate near factory farms. This is a real number. Something like $3 billion each year in cost is associated with people whose homes uh, are, are uh, unfortunately for them, 
located close enough to a factory farm that they can actually smell the fumes that those farms emit. And we have 19,000 factory farms in this country, so you can imagine there are a lot of homes affected. Yeah, I know a lot of us have recently seen a, a documentary um, called Speciesism, mm-hmm. and one of the most fascinating parts is when the filmmaker is talking with people, and I always get confused, is it North Carolina or South Carolina that has all of the hog operations? North Carolina. North Carolina. And the people there that you would not think would just wake up, grow up, and say, I think I'm going to be a vegetarian, have become that just because they see the damage of, of, mm-hmm. of that kind of agriculture to their own homes and their own region. Yeah, that, and, that makes complete sense. And what? so when people hear that information and they say, well, what if I do organic family raised is is there a difference i mean is that environmental impact significantly less where it can actually be worth doing that you know there's there's sort of a popular misconception that if you raise animals using organic methods that somehow that's that that makes that process uh, environmentally friendly but in fact the, the data suggests that um in in many cases uh the reverse is true organically raised uh, animals are, are less environmentally friendly than, than non-organic. In other, in other cases, it's simply sort of a mixed bag. Part of the problem is that when you stop, when you don't feed animals antibiotics, um, which, which is part of the organic process is you, you withhold drugs, uh, they grow more slowly. And when animals grow more slowly, they consume more resources, they consume more fossil fuels and things like that. And that, that, that in turn makes them um, less friendly to the environment. And the same is true for for some of the other sort of uh, alternative solutions that have been proposed to factory farming. Uh, locally raised foods are sort of touted as as you know one of the one of the ways that we can we can raise animals more, in a more uh, environmentally friendly way. But in fact, transportation only accounts for about eleven percent of of the carbon output that's associated with raising animals. So even if you raise them locally, if, if there are high carbon outputs associated with the production, processing, or preparation uh, components uh, uh, in that life cycle, it completely outweighs the, the transportation piece. So, so I guess the, the answer is no. These, these alternative methods don't really solve the problem um, that, that raising animals is simply uh, not environmentally sustainable. And all of these things you're saying honestly sound insane and they should be illegal. So what is happening that these things are all still happening, that these costs are still associated with the meat and dairy industry? And is the government doing anything to make this stop or to change it at least? No, our government is not doing anything to, is not doing much to change this. And in fact, um, the meat and dairy industries have been remarkably successful in the last three decades or so in passing scores of laws, over 100 new laws at the state and federal level that that have emasculated cruelty protections that once existed for farmed animals. These laws have made it more difficult, in some cases impossible, for people to sue meat and dairy producers um, and more difficult to investigate or criticize them. So producers have surrounded themselves with this very valuable framework of legal protection that allows them to continue to offload these costs onto our backs. Well, one of the things that you've talked about are these checkoffs, and that sounds like the government actually encouraging people to eat more of these products. Can that be true? Yeah, you know, checkoff programs are are really incredible. I had not heard of these uh, until a couple of years ago when I was uh, writing this book. These are programs that spend about $550 million each year to promote animal foods to American consumers. These programs are backed by the United States Department of Agriculture, or the USDA, and in a, in a very important uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2005, the court said that when a checkoff program speaks, uh, and it speaks messages like beef, it's what's for dinner, milk, it does a body good, pork, the other white meat, when it speaks those messages, it is speaking the message of the United States federal government. It's speaking government speech. So when, when a consumer is walking around the grocery store at 
five o'clock in the afternoon thinking, what should I get for dinner? And that subliminal beef, it's what's for dinner, is flashing through his or her head. That is our federal government telling that person to buy more beef. And uh, if, if listeners don't think that's uh, appropriate, uh, I, would, I certainly would agree. And, and for, for one reason, one reason why that's inappropriate is that Americans in every uh, age and sex demographic are already consuming more animal foods than the USDA says we should. So the USDA publishes the recommended guidelines for, for consumption for, for animal food products. In, in demographics like um, males who are 30 to 50, we're already eating something like two-thirds more than the USDA says we should. So for the USDA to then promote uh, additional consumption of these foods to people already eating too much, just sort of, um, it, it strikes me as, as incredibly inappropriate. So for our listeners that are listening and thinking like, whoa, what do I do? What can be done to make this change or to at least begin change? Well, the, the easiest change is one that people can do on an individual level, and that is simply to, to decide to eat less meat and dairy or uh, to, to give them up completely. And um, uh, I know you're both vegan. Uh, I'm vegan as well. And uh, I think anybody who's, who's gone vegan can attest to the wonderful health benefits uh, that result. My, my own weight dropped 17 pounds. My cholesterol went down 60 points. And, and those are sort of typical results uh, for making a switch to veganism. But in the book, I, I propose an institutional change as well. And, and that change uh, might be a little more controversial. I propose a tax on, on all foods that contain animal products. And to put it in context, we tax cigarettes in this country at an average rate of about 70%. So a typical $5 pack of cigarettes includes taxes of about 350 the, the tax that I propose on animal foods would be uh, 50%, lower than the cigarette tax. And, and that tax, combined with some other changes that I suggest in the book, like restructuring the USDA and eliminating subsidies to animal foods, would result in a, a reduction in consumption of about 44%. So Americans would go from consuming around 200 pounds of meat per person to consuming, say, 120, 110, 120 pounds of meat per person, which would basically take us back to where things were in, say, the 1950s, when, by the way, um, our national rates of diabetes were about half of what they are today. Our rates of overweight and obesity were, were less than half of what they are today. That is so interesting, David, because I was an obese child in the 1950s, and I felt like the only one, and that is not the way it is today. The book is Meat Onomics. Uh, you can find David Simon, the author, on Twitter at, at Meat Onomics. Is there a website or anything else people should know about? There is. It's meatonomics.com, just like meatonomics.com. And I know we've talked about some kind of complicated issues, but this book is extremely readable. He talks about a bakery that sells every pie or cake or loaf of bread for a dollar less than it costs to make. How's it going to stay in business? Well, that's the way the meat and dairy industry have figured out how to stay in business. It is frightening and fascinating. And thank you so much, David Simon. We look forward to having you back again. And everybody stay with us. We're going to come back with a little bit of wonderful music from Daniel Redwood, the vegan troubadour, and then Dr. Daniel Redwood. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? 
Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. I don't eat no burgers. I don't eat no dogs. I don't eat no burgers. I don't eat no funny because it said now back to your host victoria moran and then he'll here comes this well-developed baritone which is not me that was 
Daniel Redwood. Dr. Daniel Redwood is the singer-songwriter of that song, and we'll have another one for you a little bit later. He's been called the troubadour of the animal rights movement. His latest album is Songs for Animals, People, and the Earth. You can find him at Daniel Redwood Songs on Facebook. And more importantly, where you can see everything is DanielRedwoodSongs.com. Daniel lives with his lovely wife, Beth, in Overland Park, Kansas, where he is a professor at the Cleveland College of Chiropractic. I met Daniel and Beth at Farm Sanctuary in California a year ago, and they're going to be back at the Animal Place Sanctuary in Grass Valley, California, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, where Daniel will be singing at the Thanks the Turkeys celebration. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Glad to be with you. We're so happy to be with you. And this is my sidekick, Danielle. I think you know her through our hen house. I do. So, Daniel, you've spent your life being a doctor and a healer. How did the music enter in? Well, the music was really there from the beginning. I grew up in a in a musical family, so singing came early. Um, there are moments when I'm singing, when I hear my father's voice coming through. So the music's always been there. I started writing songs and started um, having an expanded sense of what songwriting and music could be really from the civil rights movement of the 60s. You know, those wonderful songs from inside the black churches, the songs of Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul, and Mary and others. And um, so music's been with me for a long time. Uh, in my 20s, you know, a while ago, I um, I worked with the peace movement and with the United Farm Workers movement out in California when I lived there, Um singing songs, writing songs for the movement, trying to contribute through the music to a cause greater than myself, which I think is uh, one of the most important things we can do in life with whatever we are passionate about uh, to use the skills that we have to help. And what made you start writing songs um, for animal rights and the cause for animal rights and animals? Well... I have to really credit my wife, Beth, a lot on this. Uh, We attended a movie, a movie showing uh, of Peaceable Kingdom, which was deeply moving to us. And actually, a few days before that, we had spent the day uh, with Dr. Will Tuttle and his wife, Madeline, who are wonderful spokespeople for the rights of animals and for veganism. And so they really opened me up to it, but the movie just burst something open within me. Um, seeing animals, seeing footage taken inside slaughterhouses, you know, the, the sense of horror, abject horror on the face of a cow about to go to slaughter, and then contrasting that with another part of that same movie, which was showing the rescued animals at uh, at a sanctuary. I mean, there were cows and pigs and sheep and goats, chickens, turkeys, all of these kinds of animals, billions of whom suffer so greatly at the hands of humans. And here they were at this sanctuary being loved by humans, being Mm -hmm. respected by humans. So I would say the visits to the sanctuaries really have deepened my sense of my, my appreciation of the intelligence and the beauty, the sensitivity, and finally, the rights of, uh, of all animals, including those that uh, almost all of us grew up uh, eating and wearing. Well, I know that we're going to be hearing another song of yours about one of these animals you met at a sanctuary, so we want to hear about that. But first, I want to hear the story behind the song that we played earlier, The Talking Vegan Blues. Oh, goodness. Um, you know, that song is, is different in tone than the other songs on the album, which are um, less humorous, shall we say. You know, they're, they're uh, ballads or, in one case, a rock song. But um, talking vegan blues, well, I think sometimes if you can 
bring a message across through music and through humor in music. Um, that message can reach certain people because it sort of flies under the radar of their normal defense mechanisms uh, so that some, the same message in a speech or in a book um, for some people in some cases might not as easily penetrate. So, um, goodness, I'm thinking of lines from that song. You know, I don't have a spare rib and neither do they. Um, you can hear the pun. You can hear the well, really, the pain and the anger, too. I think that, you know, the sort of ironic humor or what I'm attempting to have as ironic humor in the song really comes from, you know, an intensity of frustration and being upset at the suffering that these animals undergo. So, and Daniel, um, get, yeah. give us an intro uh, to the next song. Tell us about Justice. Sure. Justice is a cow who lives at the Peaceful Prairie Sanctuary in Deer Trail, Colorado, uh, hour east of Denver. He was raised as an organic steer and was in the truck, the cattle truck, on the way to the slaughterhouse, and he somehow understood what was happening. And it's an amazing, true story. He literally burst through the doors of the truck. He broke one of his horns in the process, he basically landed on the ground and started running. Um, and he was, they called in an animal control officer who shot him with a tranquilizer dart. And the grand irony of this is that be, once that tranquilizer reached his bloodstream, as it says in the song, he was no, his flesh could no longer be sold as meat because it was no longer fit, so-called fit for food. Not that I would consider any animal fit for food in any case. But in this case, he ironically, it saved his life being shot, and he was eventually brought to Peaceful Prairie Sanctuary. Oh, goodness, there's more of the story. I'll try to really condense Victoria. But basically, he was nurtured by a cow named Sherman. I mean, he arrived there terrified to death, you know, afraid of humans for justifiable reasons and this cow Sherman just licked his head for hours to calm him down and so then you know fast forwarding a bit in time he then for many years has been the greeter in chief when any new animal not just big ones like cows but chickens and turkeys and goats and everybody he would lick them on the head I mean he had learned something you know and we just visited Peaceful Prairie again late this summer, 2013, and uh, saw Justice, and he's getting older. He's 18 years old, which is far longer than cows in the animal agriculture industry live. Um, anyway, he's getting older. He's slowing down, but there is a, he has taught another cow whose name is Frank to be the greeter, and Frank now greets all the new people the same way. You yeah, know, and no matter how long he lives, he's going to live forever because of what we're all about to hear right now, and that is the song Justice from Daniel Redwood. Justice was born in Kansas Getting shot saved his life Let me tell you the story How he escaped the butcher's knife Justice was riding in a cattle truck Stopped along the interstate When he crashed through the doors Ran for his life Cause freedom couldn't wait he was taken down by an officer With a tranquilizer gun so bold But when it reached his bloodstream It meant his flesh could not be sold So sing a song for justice Sing it with all your might Darkest night 
remind me of blowing in the wind and we shall overcome mm-hmm. <laughs> well so those are two songs i dearly love that have uh, helped form me i i really thank you very much victoria oh and danielle is telling me that justice's story is in a book yep um there's a book called yes. 98 are you familiar with that um Yes, I think it's 95, but yes. Oh, 95, yep. Uh, uh, yes, it's it's the stories of various animals at sanctuaries, and it's just yeah. a, it's Justice's photo that is on the cover. Danielle oh, absolutely awesome. right. Yeah, that's what Danielle thought. So the, the website is Daniel Redwood Songs. You can also find him on Facebook at Daniel Redwood Songs. Now, you can hear a different arrangement of one of our favorite songs, which is a sanctuary song. This is going to be the theme song for the film Miss Liberty when that happens. And you can find that at MainStreetVegan.net. Just check on feature film. We're going to be there when Daniel goes to accept his Oscar for best song for, (laughs) for that movie. So, Daniel, we've just got 30 seconds. What would you like to close with? Oh, I would like to say that I think that all of us should find ways that we can, where we live, 
with the people who we cross paths with to share the message that animals are worthy of our love and respect and that uh, they matter and that we can serve the evolution of humanity by not eating animals and, and not contributing in any way to their abuse and suffering. That's really beautiful. And everybody, buy the CD. The holidays are coming. This is a fabulous stocking stuffer. www.danielredwoodsongs.com. Thank you, Daniel. Love to you and Beth. Thank you so much. And Danielle, what are you going to do with the rest of your wonderful time in New York City? Um, I would like to eat at Peace Foods the entire rest of my visit, to be honest. Um, but uh, I'm going to be in New Jersey actually tomorrow, and then I will be spending my Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in and around East Village area for the screening and helping out with the screening of the Ghosts in Our Machine. I'm just really excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really going. excited, too. They do such beautiful work. Next week, our guest is Mimi Kirk. Mimi won PETA's sexiest vegetarian over 50 when she was 70. That's something to tune in for. Thank you all for listening. God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Cerce points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. At the base of all life is the infinite wellspring of Source, and each of us has a unique way of expressing that Source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? Host Reverend Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Dendy Smith, and Meredith Tollison. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.